Recession and inflation are here. Gas, housing, and everyday goods are up, way up. And you want to be ready for any situation. So what would you do if there's no food on the shelf? Arc Heirloom Seeds are here to help. Did you know 99% of seeds sold today can't reproduce? With Heirloom Seeds, you only have to plant once. Then you can grow year after year, giving you and your family stability and security because things are getting crazy out there. Our all-in-one seed kit provides everything you need to grow your own food. This premium seed kit has over 65 varieties, 50,000 seeds in stores for 15 years. You'll also get our exclusive seed guide to make growing a no-brainer. Arc Seed Kits is a family-owned and operated business and the most trusted name in the nation for over 15 years. Our mandate is to get heirloom seeds into every home in America. Go to arcseedkits.com today and get free shipping by entering promo code podcast. That's ARKseedkits.com, promo code podcast. Get your seeds, get prepared, get growing. Arcseedkits.com. Make sure to go to TimCast.com, click join us and become a member to support this podcast and all the work we do, and you'll get access to exclusive uncensored segments from TimCast IRL and way more. Now, let's jump into the first story. Donald Trump has been indicted on conspiracy charges. They say he conspired to defraud the U.S. They twist his words to make it seem like he was doing things he wasn't actually doing. And their argument is Trump knew full well he lost the 2020 election and he and his co-conspirators attempted to lie to the American public and the government to try and steal power. I'm just going to say it outright. There is not a single cell, a single atom in the body of Donald Trump that thinks he lost 2020. And the idea that you can claim Trump secretly believed he lost the election and was lying about it. I mean, that's just absolutely absurd. You can't simultaneously claim the man's an egomaniac and he puts his name on everything, but that he also thinks he could lose an election in 2020. No, Trump genuinely believed this. And more importantly, he was acting on advice of counsel. He had lawyers telling him what to do. Now, of course, Jack Smith, the man prosecuting Donald Trump, is claiming that those lawyers are actually his co-conspirators. Well, how about that? You got to look at this indictment, man. I'll bring it up and I'll show you. It's fascinating. They use things like Donald Trump saying to remain peaceful and not to be violent was proof that he was trying to instigate January 6th because he should have said leave and that he was saying stay peaceful to imply they were peaceful. It's like, yo, you ask Trump to make a statement. He says, everyone's just stay peaceful. OK, and they go, aha, that proves it. And that's where we are. But my friends, ladies and gentlemen, the fix is in. Take a look at this story from the Daily Mail. D.C. judge who will oversee Trump's criminal case is the toughest punisher of the January 6 rioters and worked for a law firm associated with Hunter Biden. I love how they say associated with Hunter Biden, because my understanding is it is a law firm where he worked. Now, you can argue it's it's what is what does that really mean? They were the same company. It's one big happy family tree, son. And you'll see soon when they arrest Donald Trump for treason, to borrow the line from Rap News. I'm being facetious. I don't think they're actually going to try Trump with, for treason or anything like that. Just uh, playing with words there. But the point is this. It's a big club and you ain't in it. Trump ain't in it either. You know what I think? I think Donald Trump wasn't supposed to win in 2016, but he did. They thought he was going to lose. They had plans he was going to lose. Hillary Clinton got really angry. She was supposed to win. It was her turn. You see, she was supposed to win in 2008. But Barack Obama came up. And he won. He took it from her. And that was it. And they said, yeah, well, hold on. 
you know, once Obama is out, it will be your turn. So what happens when it's not her turn? Mm, Oh, boy, is she angry. And the Bidens, they're all part of the same club. It is the establishment. It is the uniparty. Now, I got to be honest, I'm not completely convinced that the uniparty is as unified as people might assume. I think it's more like this. You take a look at, say, like the, the Bush administration. I think they oppose each other in the same way that like when you're playing cards with your friends, you oppose each other. Uh, you might have disagreements on which sporting team you want to win, but you're still cracking that beer. Cheers, ordering the pizza and wings and watching the game. And that's what it's like. They're all one big happy family tree, right? They're, 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 uh, they're all part of the same club, but they want to run things a little differently. So long as they stay within the confines of how things are supposed to go, seems to be okay. That means if it was like Jeb Bush versus Hillary Clinton and Jeb Bush won, They'd be like, they'd be angry, but they wouldn't be that angry because they know it's like, okay, well, I I guess I didn't get it. But when Donald Trump wins, they're like, this guy ain't in the club. Okay, he's rich, he's powerful, but he was not supposed to win. And then Trump walks in and says, listen, we're going to do these things. And they're like, no, 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 no. You're allowed to do only A, B, and C, not one, two, or three. And Trump says, I'm going to do whatever I want. And here we are. Take a look at this. Federal judge Tanya Chitkin previously labeled as the toughest punisher of January rioters, had previously worked for the uh, same firm. Look at this. D.C. federal judge who was picked to oversee Trump's case, the toughest punisher, in a profile by the AP written last year, they said Chitkin has handed out tougher sentences than the uh, DOJ was seeking in seven cases, matched his request in four others, and sent all 11 riot defendants who have come before her behind bars. The article titled in January six cases, one judge stands out as the toughest punisher. You get it, right? It's because she's evil. It's because she does not exist to pursue justice as our country dictates, as our traditions dictate, as the law, equality and fairness dictate. She seeks to serve as a weapon and cudgel for a corrupt political elite. Donald Trump is no savior. Donald Trump is no saint. Donald Trump is not some powerful individual come to save you from the corrupt establishment elites. Donald Trump is but one thing, a wealthy, successful real estate TV, reality TV guy who wanted to be president, who has his own business interests, but was not part of the uniparty establishment. That's it. Vivek may be a little bit more of these things, someone who actually may stand up and do away with these cultural evils and things like this. But I would not assume any of these men are Superman or anything to that effect. There are a lot of people who look at Trump and think he's this God emperor or savior. Nah, he's just a guy, a successful guy, a brash guy, a guy with a plan. But I don't see Trump as some guy who's like here to rescue America from the bowels of hell or anything like that. I see a guy who had his own personal agenda, thought he was going to run for president, wanted to do certain things, said he'd keep his promises to the American people, certainly had his own agenda, as I've stated, to profit and gain for himself. Who doesn't? And they said no. And they don't like what he's doing. They don't like what his plan is. They don't like his promises to you. And they're going to do everything they can to keep him out. They say this. uh, Let's read some more. Other individuals caught during the insurrection included Texas mortgage broker, blah, 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 blah. The 61-year-old was nominated by former President Obama, born in Jamaica and graduated from the University of Pennsylvania's law school. Chutkin had worked at the firm, the law firm, Bowie's Schiller Flexner in 2002 until she was confirmed as a federal judge in 2014. 
But we still have strong connections to the Democratic Party. And then second son, Hunter Biden, whose dad, President Biden, whose dad, President Biden, is likely to face Trump in the 2024 election, was of counsel at that firm from 09 to 2014. It is not known if the two ever had any interaction. To put it simply, she worked at the same place and the same time as Hunter Biden, a guy who is currently facing serious scrutiny for criminal activities. But he's getting a slap on the wrist. He's getting a pass. Aaron Blake tweets, Trump faces 78 total criminal counts between the two Jack Smith indictments and Manhattan. You know what I think? I think that uh, the confidential documents indictment were to soften the blow. They come on, they say Trump had confidential documents. They say he's being criminally charged. And so what? It's not the biggest deal in the world. It is serious. They're like, wow, they've, they've, they've criminally charged a former president. But what's, this, what's the reality of the indictments? They're not that serious. I mean, it's serious. Don't get me wrong. But what's happening now with the 2020 election fraud charges and the January 6th charges is substantially more serious. I think their strategy was if they come out and indict Trump on 2020, it is a shock to the system. Too shocking, in fact. They need to soften the blow. So what do they do? First, the indictment you hear is tax stuff and whatever in New York City. Local charges. And it's like, wow, I can't believe that happened. And then Trump goes there. They say, ah, blah, blah, blah. And then he leaves. Then he gets the federal indictments for the confidential documents. And everyone's like, wow, I can't believe it happened again. You see, what they're doing is increments because they can't just come out and say, we are going to imprison our chief political rival. This is reminiscent of basically every single country that's gone through a civil war or revolutionary period. I've been reading more about a bunch of different things uh, from Spain to uh, Weimar Republic, uh, you know, even Italy, uh, which is a bit different. But uh, World War Two, all very interesting times uh, the Bolshevik Revolution. Uh, you look at you look at how these things take place and what happens when major upheaval occurs in these countries. Uh, uh, additionally, I was I personally experienced the second revolution in Egypt. I see these things happening. And I see what's happening in the U.S. And while it's not, if you if you get granular, if you zoom into the micro, these things have similarities, but they're different. But if you zoom out to the macro, you see it's the same thing. Major upheaval in law, abject corruption among your political elites like Joe Biden, engaging in very serious crimes, stealing money, et cetera, et cetera. And then when there's economic crises, some kind of emergency, political upheaval, attempts to jail political rivals, we're here. You know, I'm looking at the indictment, and I got to tell you, no matter which way this cuts in terms of um, narrative, whether it be the Democrats narrative or the Trump supporter narrative, history. It's another morning and you're all set for work. You grab your coffee, head out the door, and your car decides today's the day it won't start. Panic sets in. You're not just late, you're stranded. Get ahead of unexpected car repairs before they strike with CarShield, the most trusted vehicle protection company. For almost 20 years, CarShield has saved millions of drivers from repair nightmares with low monthly plans that cover up to 5,000 major parts and systems, like pricey transmission and engine repairs and check engine light mysteries. Visit CarShield today at carshield.com carlson. Plans include unlimited miles, 24-7 roadside assistance, help with flats, lockouts, and rental car options. Save 20% and get a 
free quote by visiting CarShield online at carshield.com slash Carlson. Don't wait for the next surprise. Choose peace of mind with CarShield. Go to carshield.com slash Carlson and save 20% today. History will be viewed at this time similarly to every other revolutionary period. Put it simply, you take a look at Weimar Germany, the Beer Hall push. You've got Adolf Hitler storming into the Beer Hall, firing gun in the air and an attempt to overthrow the Weimar Republic and stuff like that. And they arrest him. He goes to jail. He then writes Mein Kampf. And then over the next couple of decades, you know what happens with the rest of it. You look at it in that context and you try and compare Trump to Hitler as the Democrats have done. And you could write a similar story. January 6th, the, the, the January 6th insurrection, Donald Trump and his supporters tried to storm the Capitol to overthrow the government. Trump was subsequently criminally charged and arrested for it while in prison, blah, blah, blah. Granted, Trump's a lot older if he doesn't end up going to prison. I don't think he gets out and then runs because he'll be like in his late 80s or something like that. But it could be Trump Jr. Who knows? Who knows? First, before we get into uh, get it, I, I want to make sure I briefly mention Trump's six co-conspirators described the DOJ indictment revealed. Yes, his co-conspirators, Giuliani, do they, do they have the, uh, uh, there's the indictment. Co-conspirator one is Giuliani. Then we have uh, co-conspirator, look, look at this picture of Giuliani. Co-conspirator two, John Eastman. This is amazing, a conservative attorney who advised Trump. Sidney Powell, co-conspirator number three. She's 68. Wow, I didn't realize she was that old. Jeffrey Clark, co-conspirator number four. Well, that one's really amazing. We've had him on the show, I think more than once. Co-conspirator four is described in the indictment as a Justice Department official who focused on civil matters and worked with Trump to use the Justice Department to open sham election crime investigations and influence state legislatures with knowingly false claims of election fraud. Knowingly false. How do you know someone lied about something? This is the reason why it's very hard to go after people for perjury. Proving they knew they lied is difficult. This is why it's so hard to go after people for defamation. Proving someone know, uh, knew they lied is very difficult. If someone says something that's incorrect, how do you prove they're lying? They may genuinely believe it. I think all of these guys genuinely believed it. And I can tell you, I've talked to these guys and it is frustrating. Steve Bannon sitting here with me and we're arguing fraud. And I'm like, I don't think so. I think Trump got anti-elected. They shut down everything, sports, movies, you name it. They then blasted on TV to everybody locked in their cubicle apartments that Donald Trump did this thing. It's his fault and you got to go vote. Then they delivered the ballot to their homes with universal mail-in voting. Come on. This is why everything changed. Procedural manipulation. Cleverly done. But I digress. Kenneth Ches- Chaseborough is the uh, fifth co-conspirator and the unknown political consultant. Nobody knows who exactly that is. Interesting, interesting. Take a look at this from Michael Tracy. Trump was continuing to perpetuate the grand criminal conspiracy by tweeting out stay peaceful and no violence on January 6th, according to the brilliant legal mind of Jack Smith. Could you not? In the indictment, it says the defendant repeatedly refused to approve a message directing rioters to leave the Capitol, as urged by his most senior advisors, including White House counsel, a deputy White House counsel, chief of staff, deputy chief of staff, senior advisor. Instead, The defendant issued two tweets that did not ask rioters to leave the Capitol, but instead falsely suggested the crowd at the Capitol was being peaceful. Huh? Yeah. Example one at 2.38 p.m. Please support our Capitol Police and law enforcement. They are truly on the side of our country. Stay peaceful. 3.13. I am asking for everyone at the U.S. Capitol to remain peaceful. No violence. Remember, we are the party of law and order. 
Respect the law and our great men and women in blue. Thank you. What are, are you serious? Because Trump asked people to stay peaceful twice, he was actually secretly arguing they were peaceful is the most psychotic thing I have ever heard. This is more so Trump bumbling. I don't think Trump sat there and said, mm, I can't actually ask them to leave. I'll pretend they're peaceful. <laughs> are you kidding me? And this is what they want. This is what they want to use to go after Trump. Jonathan Turley says special counsel Jack Smith just issued the first criminal indictment of alleged disinformation. In my view, if you take a red pen to all of the material presumptively protected by the First Amendment, you can reduce much of the indictment to haiku. I felt that the Mar-a-Lago indictment was strong. This is the inverse. This is closer to the case against former Virginia Governor Bob McDonnell, where Smith was overturned by by a, a unanimous Supreme Court decision. The press conference held by Smith only deepened the unease for some of us. Smith railed against the January 6th riot and made it sound like he was indicting Trump on incitement. He didn't. The disconnect was glaring and concerning. I want you to see this this portion here. This one's very interesting. Section 80, page 30 of the indictment. Also on the morning of January 3rd, co-conspirator Ford met with the defendant at his White House, again, without having informed senior Justice Department officials, and accepted the defendant's offer to become acting attorney general. This is clearly uh, Jeff Clark. On the afternoon of January 3rd, co-conspirator Ford uh, uh, spoke with a deputy White House counsel. The previous month, the deputy White House counsel had informed the defendant that, quote, there is no world, there is no option in which you do not leave the White House on January 20th. Now, the same deputy White House counsel tried to dissuade co-conspirator four from assuming the role of acting attorney general. This is, this is really interesting. Let me this. Co-conspirator four met with the defendant at the White House without having informed senior justice officials departments and accepted the defendant's offer that he become acting attorney general. They go on to say this, uh, co-conspirator four spoke with the deputy White House counsel on afternoon, spoke with the deputy White House counsel. The same deputy White House counsel tried to dissuade co-conspirator four from assuming the role of acting attorney general. The deputy White House, uh, House counsel reiterated to co-conspirator four that there had not been outcome determinative fraud in the election and that if the defendant remained in office, nonetheless, there would be riots in every major city in the United States. Co-conspirator four responded, well, Deputy White House counsel, that's why there's an insurrection act. Also that afternoon, co-conspirator four met with acting attorney general and told him that the defendant had decided to put co-conspirator four in charge of the Justice Department. The acting attorney general responded that he would not accept being fired by a subordinate and immediately scheduled a meeting with the defendant for that evening. On the evening of January 3rd, the defendant met for a briefing and an overseas national security issue with the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and other senior national security advisors. The chairman briefed the defendant on the issue, which had previously arisen in, De in December, as well as possible ways the defendant could handle it. When the chairman and another advisor recommended that the defendant take no action because inauguration day was only 17 days away and any course of action could trigger something unhelpful, the defendant, defendant calmly agreed, stating, yeah, you're right. It's too late for us. We're going to give that to the next guy. Wait, let me let me say this. I was talking on Timcast IRL about making movies. And one thing I've always really wanted to do was make short films that invert the narrative of popular movies. There is a joke about Star Wars that uh, A New Hope is a movie about 
a young kid from a desert planet who's radicalized by a religious extremist into taking a cargo ship and blowing up a military base. Yeah, that's Star Wars. Luke Skywalker meets an old Jedi in ancient religion. He then takes the Millennium Falcon, which is a smug, a smuggling ship, the cargo ship. And they go on a mission with a bunch of extremists and they blow up the Death Star. Now, the funny thing is people were saying, yeah, but it's the Death Star, man. It's like a weapon. They, they blew up a planet with it. The Death Star was called Project Stardust. So my, my, my idea was like, it would be fun to make an inverse propaganda film where Darth Vader, a, 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 a Darth being just a, a rank in the military, was a disabled veteran, a war veteran who was leading the armed forces and was attacked by by religious extremists. And they blew up the de- uh, Project Stardust, it was called. And they don't call it the Death Star. That's propaganda. You can invert the narrative. The reason I bring this up is I look at this story and I think about where we go in 50 to 100 years. And it really depends on who wins today. The narrative will be written by the victors. This is an attempt to reframe and rewrite what happened these days. There is no reality in which a mustache twirling villain Donald Trump says, I know that I lost, but I will steal power (laughs) and then uses force lightning on some unsuspecting young people trying to stand up to defeat him. The reality is much more boring than that. Donald Trump, seeing what happened in this country, genuinely believed there was fraud or untoward actions. And there are a lot of suspect things, sure. Ballot harvesting, ballot chasing, etc. Procedural uh, issues where judges threw out various lawsuits and things like this. There were 48 states embroiled in a lawsuit over whether or not the election was legal. They don't talk about that, do they? Now, witnessing all of these things and hearing this, Donald Trump and his team probably more so sounded like this. Trump going, there was fraud. You, you, th- th- what is this thing in Michigan? I'm seeing. And then you've got a lawyer being like, we've got questions about the, the TCF center. You've got this Detroit thing and we've got to have an investigation. This. Do we have time to do it? Uh, I don't think we do, but we should go after these people because it looks like something untoward happened. That's probably how it really sounded. So here's what happens. If Trump prevails and wins in 2024, despite all of this, the narrative in the history books will say, In 2020, there was fraud. Donald Trump tried to stop it. His legal team, valiant heroes, did everything they could. But realizing that the the task before them was insurmountable, did the only thing reasonable and retreated, thus handing over power to a corrupt establishment political class that was seeking to destroy the United States. In 2024, after going about the traditional, normal, rational, legal and reasonable process of being reelected, They reopened the investigations without the criminals and thus saved this nation. That's the narrative written by Trump. Should he win in 2024? Should Trump lose in 2024? This will be the narrative that Donald Trump and his cohorts sought to seize power and lied to to, in an attempt to subvert this nation. His followers staged an extremist revolutionary insurrection and failed. That's how they'll write it. And, you know, the interesting thing is, even if Trump wins in 2024, they could write it in the positive way that Trump is the hero. But it could be 10 years later when Trump then leaves office and the the deep state returns that they once again rewrite the narrative. They go after him. They criminally charge him. History is written by the victors. And right now what we're looking at is the unraveled twine that has yet to be braided. 
Think of history as this way. Imagine there are a bunch of threads and they have not yet been pulled together and braided. And where we are is the point where the threads are coming together at that braid. As we move up, the timeline becomes a single piece of braided thread. Before us, we see all the variables and all the narratives which could come together. We don't know yet which one will be the definitive thread in our timeline. That's the narrative. And it could go in any direction, depending on which threads get pulled in and how it gets braided. That's how I see the timeline and the variables. That's how I see things changing. And right now, it could be any one of these things before us. Any one of these variables before us could come into play. It could be that in 20 years, we look back and all of the young people, there'll be 18 year olds who were born two years after this day. And they will say things like, everybody knows Donald Trump was trying to steal power in this country. And we are fortunate enough that the diverse, that the powers of critical race theory and gender ideology came together with the, dem- with the uh, multicultural dem- democratic institutions to stop the evil, blah, 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 white supremacist regime. Maybe in 100 years, they say white supremacy ran rampant and Donald Trump was the leader of white supremacy and he tried to to preserve it or go the other direction. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online, and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. This spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code POOL at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code POOL at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com code POOL. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. It could be that communist forces sought to subvert the United States and Donald Trump made his last stand. It'll be interesting to see how far it goes or where it goes. I don't know for sure. All I can tell you is from where we're at, we see two things. The right is winning the culture war, period. Now, you can argue that they don't control enough cultural institutions, but when you see Disney losing nearly a billion dollars on their last releases, Sound of Freedom at $150 million, Bud Light collapsing, the culture is shifting towards the right. When you see that 12, uh, 12th grade males skew heavily conservative, albeit young females skew liberal, don't think that matters. Because women tend to be more socially interested and men tend to be more object oriented. In which case, the presumption is, as men pursue political endeavors and abstract endeavors and females pursue social endeavors, they will, the women will probably start skewing towards the males. I'm not saying that in any way that's derisive. I'm not saying that should be frowned upon or it's, it's, a, it's a thing not to be respected. Many, many women may say, oh, we don't follow men. We don't. No, I'm saying the women will seek to be more socially cohesive than men will not. Thus, the pressure is on females 
I'm not saying this means that all females and all uh, uh, liberals will cease to exist. I'm saying it will just create a skewing pressure among many young women. But it's not absolute. With that, I think the direction of this country likely will skew to the right because of cultural issues. And what we're seeing with the Democrats and the liberals is a desperate attempt to, to wield what little power they have left. The, the indictment against Donald Trump is laughably absurd. That Trump said stay peaceful, that proves it. Now, of course, they've got a judge that is going to be on their side. But I don't see these things. I don't see them working when the culture is shifting away from them. When young men are shifting away from them, it's not going to work. You're not going to be able to maintain this power if you're losing culture, and they are. But you know what? Many, many will probably look back on a video like this. It'll be in the history books. Who knows? And they'll say, boy, was that guy wrong about everything. That's the reality. I don't know. Hindsight is 2020. Y'all in the future are going to look back and you're going to know way better than me. Or it may be that y'all look back and believe stupid nonsense written by the victors, lies and manipulations. And how would you know? You wouldn't. How am I supposed to know that history is real today? I don't. Just cross our fingers and trust what we can trust. So we'll see. Y'all probably already saw. Who knows? Next segment's coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then. 561 years in prison. Donald Trump is now fundraising off of his recent indictment with a dire warning. You could be thrown in jail for six lifetimes. It's really interesting to see how far things have gone. And now we have big news as well with Vivek Ramaswamy filing a lawsuit against the DOJ demanding records on the Trump indictment. And the reason I bring this up is the latest developments on what's happening with Donald Trump's criminal charges relating to denying the 2020 election results. But more importantly, how this will play out politically. You know, the first thing I'll say is whenever there's really big, historical, earth shattering news, the only thing in the press is going to be that one story written 500,000 times. So, of course, there are small details that we can bring up with updates to keep you informed on what's happening. But then the big question I have is who wins the GOP primary? And these are the questions that um, many are asking. If Trump is removed and unable to run, who will it be? Many prominent conservatives and not necessarily even conservatives, but Trump supporters or anti-establishment individuals believe it will be Vivek Ramaswamy because of the action he's taking, with some even saying Ramaswamy's lawsuit is doing more as a candidate who has not held public office before than any of our Republican elected leaders. To be fair, shout out to Matt Gates, who is like the only guy I see doing things. I like what he's doing. He's trying to get rid of U.S. aid or whatever was the thing he was doing the other day. I just love to see it because he's actually challenging the machine. As for the rest of the members of Congress, there are a handful, I, I, I think, do good work. You know, don't get me wrong. But let's read this first. Donald Trump's latest update. Mediaite reports. It's not out of the ordinary for a politician to try to spin negative news into a positive into a positive while fundraising off of it. But the manner in which former President Trump is spinning the latest indictment, among other things, Allegedly defrauding the U.S. is patently absurd. Interesting opinion there, Mediaite. They go to mention that he was indicted. On Wednesday morning, Trump thanked his loyal surrogates for defending him in what can uh, fairly be called a manic social media post. Ha ha ha. He writes, oh, and uh, uh, yes, I got this email as well. 
Patriot, with Crooked Joe's corrupt DOJ having unlawfully indicted yours truly yet again, reports indicate that I could now face a combined 561 years in prison from the left's witch hunts. Six lifetimes. There's only one message someone can send by trying to throw you in jail for six lifetimes, and that's fear. The fear that if you vote for the only candidate you, who puts you first, you too could be harassed, indicted, and even arrested by the current Marxist regime in Washington. Because these endless witch hunts and indictments aren't really about me. They're about you having a voice in your own country. Now, I, I got to say, yeah, I agree. And I'll say it again. Trump is no saint. He's no savior. He's no uh, hero. He's no last line of defense. All of these things Trump claims, by all means, many uh, you can believe and many of his, his supporters believe. Here's my view of the man, Donald Trump. He's a deeply flawed man because, you know, most people are. He's an intelligent, successful individual. He's quite funny. He's an entertainer. He has charisma like many, like, like we've never seen before. And he has an agenda. Now, I think Donald Trump's agenda is his worldview. And that worldview benefits America and is a detriment to the Council on Foreign Relations and the liberal economic order that they've tried to set up around the world. And you could argue U.S. empire. Donald Trump's agenda is making America great again. And it's simply put, he said it, but I genuinely believe it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying Trump isn't out for himself. Everyone has self-interest. I do not view Trump as this God emperor who is trying to save America from this evil conspiracy. I see him as a guy who wanted to be president because there's things he wants to do. He wants to secure the border. He's tired of seeing corruption in D.C. He wants things. It's his worldview. And that's about it. That's all you can really expect from a human being. But of course, when it comes to leadership and charisma, some people elevate others to higher positions. Look, they're people of means and talent. Don't get me wrong. But people are people. And Donald Trump is another guy. And what we see from the D.C. establishment is the abject corruption. With Donald Trump, let me, let me, let me break this down. Many people are probably going to respond to me being like, no, Trump was trying to drain the swamp and weed out corruption. Come on. Mike Pence? No, sorry. John Bolton? Try again. Donald Trump had a lot of people around him he could have gotten rid of. But the reality is Trump thought he was going to get into office. He was going to enact certain reforms and policies. He was going to play ball and make these negotiations. But the corrupt establishment had other plans. Trump made that mistake. Trump today, I see as something different. He wants revenge on those who violate our norms, who lied, cheated and stealed for power, che cheated and stole, stealed. My point is, Donald Trump today is not here to save this great nation. I believe that Donald Trump wants to get revenge. Now, that may have the effect of weeding out such corruption and firing these individuals that it does save this country. And I do believe Trump wanted to save this country to a certain degree. But I just think Trump's view of this nation when he was running was not nearly as bad as many of us saw it. He was like, I'm going to run. If I win, then I'll, you know, I'll change these policies. I'll bring some people in. And boy, did he make a mistake. He trusted the two weeks to slow the spread. It was a big mistake. Trump made those errors. But now the idea that he would face this degree of action from the corrupt establishment elites is shocking. He's, of course, requesting your financing. He's once again asking you for money. Now, the left, they come out with this hilarious attack where they're like, 
Donald Trump's taking the donations. He's using it for his legal fees. And I'm just like, dude, not a single Trump supporter cares. In fact, I I said this last night, Donald Trump could take all your donations and buy himself a golden toilet and his supporters would laugh and clap and be like, we believe in you, man. And the left views that as psychotic zealotry. It's not. It's not. Trump is a gigantic golden toilet of a truncheon to be wielded by the people who are upset with the establishment elites. Many of the people who vote for Trump do not see him as their savior. They see him as a bull to rampage through the establishment's ivory tower. That's how I see it. That's how I've seen it a lot. And then don't get me wrong. No new wars. Very good. Economic policy. We had some good economic policy. Foreign policy. Fantastic. So I'm like, all right, I'll take it. I want to show you this video real quick to give you some context to those who don't know what's going on. I'm not going to play the full 10 minutes, but I'll play just some of it for you. Uh, Actually, let me get the audio going. And here we go. You can run the best campaign. You can even become the nominee and you can have the election stolen from you. What a disgusting human. How can you win with Russian interference, though? That's, That's the real what thing. I'm scared about no, in 2020. But, but rightly. Because right. I think he's an illegitimate president that didn't really win. So how do you, you know, fight against that in 2020? You are absolutely right. He's an illegitimate president in my mind. Would you be my vice president for candidate? <laughs> Folks, look, I absolutely agree. Trump didn't actually win the election in 2016. He lost the election. And he was put in office because the Russians interfered. Trump knows he's an illegitimate president. The president elect, although legally elected, is not legitimate. I don't see this president. Yeah, okay, this goes on for 10 minutes. As a legitimate. Democrats for years claimed that Russians switched votes, that the Russians interfered, and they came up with every psychotic conspiracy theory to justify this saying that there were online disinformation campaigns to manipulate voters, blah, blah, blah. And then in 2020, Trump supporters had their share of psychotic conspiracies about Venezuela and servers in Germany and satellites in the CIA, Dominion, etc. The reality is no one's going to believe 2024. No one's going to believe it. So I, I can't tell you what to expect. I can't predict it. There are certain things that uh, I'm good at predicting and a lot of things I'm bad at predicting. You know, a lot of the left, they like to say that I was predicting a 49 state landslide or whatever. Taken out of context. It sounds silly within the context of what we are talking about. For one, I said something absurd, like if Trump appointed Tulsi Gabbard as his national security advisor and Andrew Yang as an economic advisor, he'd see a 49 state landslide, things that would never happen. Or that if he legalized marijuana at the federal level and pardoned all nonviolent offenders and those who did not take uh, plea agreements down, he would see a 49 state landslide. But more importantly, looking at Moody's economic forecasts, they suggested the possibility of a major landslide for Trump. And the reason I say 49 state landslide, it's a meme. It's a meme that means overwhelming victory. Have you seen the price of gold lately? It's hitting all time highs. And when it comes to investing in gold, check out Noble Gold Investments. They have a track record of excellence that's second to none. Just look at their thousands of five star reviews on Trustpilot, Google and the Better Business Bureau. Customers rave about their knowledgeable staff, smooth investment process, and life-changing results, which you can see for yourself online. That's the kind of reputation you can count on. But it's not just about the reviews. Noble Gold Investments truly care about their clients. They take the time to understand your unique needs and goals, and they give expert guidance every step of the way. 
That level of personalized service is rare in this industry. Look, when it comes to securing your financial future, you can't afford to take chances. Go with the gold company that has earned the trust of countless investors. Visit noblegoldinvestments.com slash Tim Pool today and discover why Noble Gold Investments is the only choice for smart, secure gold investments. Or call them at 877-646-5347. Again, that's 877 646 5347. But what I would say is I certainly got right the tremendous increase in support for Donald Trump. What I could not predict was the procedural changes that took place in 2020 that massively bolstered the Democratic, I don't want to say turnout, but vote count, which was ballot chasing, ballot harvesting, universal mail in voting. Couldn't have predicted it. But it is true that Trump got more votes than any sitting president in U.S. history. And it's true. There are a lot of things that are true that no president who received more votes on his second time around ever lost until now. Why? Well, many of the Trump supporters would say fraud, but the reality is universal mail-in voting and procedural changes that fundamentally shifted how elections happen in this country. So what will happen in 2024? I can't predict at all. I honestly have no idea. What I can say is that when it comes down to this GOP, the primary It may result in a vice president, Ramaswamy, or a presidential nominee, Ramaswamy. Vivek has captured the passions of Trump supporters. He issued a powerful statement last night, which we went over, where he said this is wrong and all of the candidates must come now behind Donald Trump to defend him from these wrong prosecutions, this politicizing and weaponization of the DOJ. He's suing the DOJ, demanding records. Quote, my aim is in bringing this lawsuit is to finally deliver accountability and transparency. What did Biden and his cronies tell Attorney General Merrick Garland? And what did Garland and the deep staters who put him in as attorney general tell special counsel Jack Smith? Despite having lost, the defendant Trump was determined to remain in power. So uh, so for more than two months following election, blah, blah, blah. According to the indictment, that's what it says, that he was spreading lies that there had been outcome determinative fraud in the election. Ramaswamy, who's running against Trump for the GOP nomination, said the indictments against Trump selectively omit relevant facts and law and argued the corrupt federal police won't stop until they've achieved their mission to eliminate Trump. Now, here's why I say Ramaswamy. The guy's smart. He knows how to play the game. You do not come out and attack the front runner that has the base. You defend him. I advised this indirectly on my show of DeSantis. I said this last year that Ron DeSantis should come out and say Donald Trump was the greatest president of my lifetime, whose foreign policy is unparalleled and who led a great economic recovery, Uh, or I should say expansion 2019, the best numbers of our lives, say Jim Cramer. But he made errors when it came to COVID, errors that I aim to improve upon. And with tremendous respect for the hard work of President Trump, I now think the American people should look to someone younger. He could have said something like that. Why should we vote for you when we get the best of all worlds with Trump? Well, you say, I'm younger, I'm it for the long run. And I have tremendous respect for this man. I look up to him. But if you vote for me, you're getting someone who is ready for that fight. And I think I can carry on that legacy that Trump had brought about, blah, blah, blah. And many people would say, well, what's the point? What's the point? We can just vote for Trump. Well, you make your case. 
but you don't win by going after him in that way, in the way he is now. Scott Adams says Vivek Ramaswamy made DeSantis unelectable yesterday, and you didn't notice. If Trump gets taken off the board, Republicans will be looking for a candidate who is a sword, not a memo. Biden and DeSantis are both out of contention. I, I don't disagree. I don't know that means Vivek Ramaswamy can win. I just think Vivek is showing time and time again that the dude knows how to handle this. Now, he's been accused of uh, being a World Economic Forum stooge. Dude actually sued the WEF and won. He sued them because they listed his name and apologized for putting him on there. Dude, Vivek knows what he's doing. He is sharp as a tack and quick-witted. And that means maybe he won't be the, 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 the nominee. If it's not Trump, I can only see Vivek Ramaswamy. Take a look at this. Over in the prediction markets, at, uh, as the time, at, at the time of loading this page, Trump is up despite the indictments. DeSantis stays the same around 17 cents. Ramaswamy coming in a close third with 16 cents. Let's see what happens if I hit refresh. With the refresh, Ramaswamy is down one cent and DeSantis is still at 17 and Trump is at 59. Chris Christie somehow has climbed one cent. So we'll see. What I absolutely love about the betting odds is that with the indictment of Donald Trump coming in, Trump's betting odds have increased. Yo, this is amazing. People believe the likelihood that people believe the indictments are helping him. That's amazing. And Ramaswamy and DeSantis have dropped. But, you know, so is everyone else. Tim Scott's gone down a little bit. But I love the idea that Ramaswamy and DeSantis are both going down as of right now. The latest polls over at 538 show that Donald Trump, with the latest coming from the morning consult, is at 58% to DeSantis's 15%. Previous to that, we had the morning consult with 59% for Trump and DeSantis at uh, 15 as well. However, Echelon Insights actually had Trump at 70 with Ramaswamy at 23. Now, that one is very interesting. Not only showing Trump polling way better but having Ramaswamy in second place. And there was a poll prior to this. If we go down to July 17th to the 26th from Ohio, Northern University Institute for Civics and Public Policy with Ramaswamy in second place. You know, look, I don't believe that. I, I, I don't think that DeSantis has it. I don't. You got some Rolling Stone article coming out saying like a top campaign uh, staffer has resigned. You've got his his uh, surrogates on social media attacking everyone who should be supporting him. And you know what I think? I think there are Biden supporters who are pretending to be DeSantis supporters to sabotage him because they they all act like Democrats in the same way. Very cult like. The reasonable DeSantis supporters, some of whom I know, will have a calm, rational conversation with me and state their case for why DeSantis should win. But then you look at some of the most prominent figures and it's just vile and repugnant garbage. And they come to me and they say, yeah, but Tim, but Trump supporters do the same thing to DeSantis. And I'm like, uh-huh. I OK. Trump supporters aren't attacking me when I criticize Trump, when I say Trump is an old lascivious man or lewd or that he's not a savior, he's not a God emperor, that Trump is deeply flawed. I can say all of that. I can say I want Trump criminally investigated for the death of an American, an eight year old American girl in Yemen because he ordered the commando raid that allegedly led to her death. And I still don't get Trump supporters screaming in my ears relentlessly. They say, let me come on and state my case. I say, OK. We reached out to the DeSantis campaign and asked them to come on the show to discuss 
Ron, and, and his campaign. And they refused. They refused. So you've got these people who will not address their critics at all in any way, but they will send the most violent, vicious people on social media to attack anyone who dare criticize Donald Trump. Meanwhile, while the Trump campaign may have social media influencers, campaign circuits doing very similar things, they absolutely will come on and discuss this despite criticism of Donald Trump. And that's how it's been since 2016. Every Trump supporter saying, I know you don't like Trump, Tim, but let's have the conversation. And then I'd say, here's what I don't like. I'd say, okay, fair point. It's really amazing, isn't it? Thus born the meme, stop making me defend Trump. Ron DeSantis is a good dude. Great policies. Best politician in the country right now. Completely incapable of running a campaign. He should have fired so many people. And then I look at Vivek Ramaswamy. He gets accused of being a World Economic Forum stooge. So what does he do? Directly addresses it files a lawsuit against the World Economic Forum and says outright publicly straight up, this is what happened. Take it for what it is. Ron DeSantis campaign puts out deep fakes. What do they do? Run and hide. Pull their staff, say don't don't appear on any show that's critical of us. And then all of his whiny uh, fans start attacking me on social media. Yeah, I don't care if you like or don't like me or whatever. That doesn't matter. You can tweet at me and comment and say, I'll never watch your show again unsubscribed as if that as if that's ever been a motivation for me. And I will tell you, you need to win the moderates. You need to win the people who are not in the cult and simply whining and saying that as DeSantis polls crater and he lays off 38 plus staffers, things are fine. Believe whatever you want. Y'all are living in Wally world, plugging your ears and going la 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 la. DeSantis figured it out. He fired 38 staffers. He should have fired his campaign leadership. He won't do that. And that says to me he's incapable of, of, of running this. He's spiraling. He may have had that high moment, and it really is disappointing. Because I'll show you those betting odds. Look at this. When they first started tracking the betting odds, Ron DeSantis was over 50% to Trump's 27. And then what did he do? He ran his campaign miserably. And now look where we are. Trump, higher than ever. We'll see what happens. That's all I can really say, because I can't predict this. I have no idea. They're preparing more indictments in Georgia against Donald Trump. Trump's facing 561 years. But what if you combine everything they've levied against him? This is character. This is this is this is legal, a legal figurative assassination, an attempt to remove Donald Trump from the running through means other than an election. Now, there is one benefit to all of this. Trump's lawyer says they will relitigate the entirety of 2020 with subpoena power now that Trump is being criminally charged over it. Perhaps bad timing for Democrats. Perhaps they had no choice. This is their only strategy. But now we're going to see things come out in this election, which could shock people. Procedural changes. The argument? When many of these procedural changes were made at the state level, the state legislatures had no say in them, and they constitutionally do. When governors and courts decided that Democrats could run the election as they wanted, Trump's team said this needs to go back to the state legislatures and they decide. And for that, they accused Trump of a conspiracy to defraud the U.S. Well, OK, I suppose we will see how it plays out. But the game is on. The system is rigged in so many ways, but it's not to the point where we can't win. And anybody telling you that Trump already lost, 
They want Trump to lose. So again, we'll see. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 4 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out, and I will see you all then. As things still crumble here in the United States in the most extreme way possible, Donald Trump facing 561 years in prison, don't forget that World War III is just around the corner with this news story from Newsweek. Poland sounds alarm as Putin allies suggest Wagner will invade NATO country. Now, you may be saying, yeah, 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 Ukraine war and all that jazz. Why would that be World War III? Well, of course, there's the obvious. If a NATO country is invaded, Article 5 is triggered. The U.S. enters the fray directly. I mean, let's be honest, we're already in the war. It's basically the United States versus Russia. But there could be a bigger problem afoot, my friends, for it is not just about NATO nations being invaded. It's about the BRICS nation's massive expansion. With this breaking report from Bloomberg as of this morning, South Africa says BRICS will move forward on expansion at summit. A planned announcement on the expansion of BRICS at a forthcoming summit in South Africa will mark a significant change in the global order. The nation's ambassador to the five nation bloc said, even as some of its members push back against new admissions. Heads of state from Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa will make a pronouncement on the enlargement of the group when they meet August 22nd to 24th. And Anil Suklal said in a lecture at the University of KwaZulu-Natal on Wednesday, 22 nations have asked formally, be, formally to become full-time members of the group, and more than 20 others have submitted informal requests. This could uh, actually include Saudi Arabia. If this happens, and we see the BRICS nations launch a gold-backed currency, in an attempt to disrupt the petrodollar, my friends, the liberal economic order, the dream of the Council on Foreign Relations could be at risk. U.S. empire could crumble and we will officially be in a multipolar world, as was the case during the Cold War. And many people were excited to see the collapse of the Soviet Union. And thus, the, the, the world became unipolar with the United States as the dominant superpower effectively controlling everything. But they couldn't maintain it. Could anyone ever really? Empires always fall. This one relatively short lived, to be completely honest. Some people say that the U.S. is uh, over 200 and some odd years old. Therefore, empires don't last that long. But the United States has not been an empire that long. It's about 250 or so years old. And that's the typical lifespan of an empire. But the United States wasn't always an empire. It's only after World War II that the U.S. had this established control around the world. And even then, it was still in competition with the Soviet Union. So where do we go from here? It couldn't be maintained, my friends. You need to understand that we've been living in a golden age. The idea that we work so little and get so much, it's laughable. But being raised in a generation of people witnessing massive economic expansion, what more could we expect? We don't understand anything else. For a lot of people in this country who are more conservative and working class, they certainly understand the value of hard work and the necessity of it. But for so many people, so many millennials, and many Gen Z who grew up not having to do anything. They don't understand the purpose of hard work at all. And this could be a death knell for this country, but perhaps more so it's just a fourth turning. And we will revert back to following hard times, something different. You see, the way I see it right now with looming war, it may happen. The BRICS nations may uh, likely will expand, thus competing directly with NATO superpowers and the petrodollar. This will split the world and eventually lead to a tremendous and massive world war. But domestically, 
With so many of these young people not understanding the requirement of hard work, they'd be unwilling to do it. If the petrodollar does collapse, these people are going to lose their minds. Uh Uh-oh, all of a sudden, the value of the dollar is worth nothing. Yeah, I love this. I love this. I've been to many countries, and I've seen what true hard work is required to survive. You need food. If you don't have it, it's too bad. I was playing this video game on my phone earlier, and uh, there was this ad for a game where it's winter, and you're in a fortress, a settlement, and survivors are begging for help. And they come in, and then you heat them up, and they have to work. And I was thinking about, you know, if you had a winter fort, and you had only enough food for your family saved up throughout the harvest to make it through the winter, and uh, some survivors came and said, we need help, what do you do? Do you let them die? Can these people do enough work in the winter to carry their own weight, and then more, and, and then some? Or would they consume too much of your limited food supply and put you all at risk? It's a scary thought, right? We don't want to leave people to starve to death. But what do you do? If you don't have the supplies, you can't save them. You see, young people in this country, they've been spared that reality. We have had 70 different brands of the same kind of grain cereal on the shelf at the supermarket. We have 15 different kinds of ketchup, 12 different kinds of jelly, 10 different kinds of peanut butter. In fact, the numbers, I'm just making them up. It could be way more than that. It's just abundance. Why? The petrodollar. We don't do work. We barely export anything. It doesn't matter because we can just keep printing the money. And we got the big guns. And those big guns are pointed at other nations. And anyone who dare try to trade oil outside of the U.S. dollar will face the consequences. Don't believe me? Take a look at Saddam Hussein and Muammar Gaddafi. They certainly figured out what was going on. Bashar Bashar al-Assad, his country wouldn't let us build an oil pipeline. Take a look at who we supported when his country fell into civil war. It's obvious. If the BRICS nations are to launch this currency, and it really does go in this direction, let me tell you what to expect. If the petrodollar falls, then uh, start working. Because you're going to have to produce more value than you consume. That's the way it works. In so many countries, they need to export more than they import. The simple, the simple point is, if you want to trade for oil, you need U.S. dollars, the petrodollar. And that means if your country produces euro or some other currency, you got to trade those for dollars first. That means the U.S. can print money and get whatever currency from whatever, whatever other nations. We can import goods and buy from them, and it's that easy. And then you ask why it is that the U.S. gives so much money away for free in grants. It's to make sure that people keep using our currency. You give $12 million for a gender studies grant in Pakistan, and that sounds absurd, right? Well, there's a reason for it. Because let's say Pakistan has no money. And of course they have money, but let's say they have no money for the international trade. They're, they're going to say, we need to figure out how to get oil. And they're going to start trading in their own local resources and currency. Well, we can't have that. We want to maintain currency supremacy. So we say, here's 12 million bucks. Now what happens? Now, when they go to trade for oil, they say, we have dollars and our dollars are good. And we want to use the dollars and we want more dollars because they have it. Why trade in anything else? Then when someone comes to them and says, will you accept this other currency? No, 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 no. We want more dollars because we use dollars. That's the name of the game. BRICS, Saudi Arabia, China, all of these countries, you know, BRICS referring to all of them. They would like to upend that order. Russia would be happy to. China, of course. 
And we've already seen China and Russia negotiate in this way. And they've been doing something like this for decades. I remember it was some 10, uh, 10 or, or, or I don't know, I remember how many years ago. I'm reading these stories about China and Russia dumping U.S. bonds. And the signs were clear. They were planning to get off the U.S. dollar. And that would mean war of some sort. Surprise, surprise. We are now at war with Russia. Now, of course, the pundits and the fact checkers will say Tim Pool's lying. The U.S. is not at war with Russia, but only a fool would think otherwise. The U.S. has its citizens on the ground in Ukraine fighting, providing them weapons and intelligence. And you think Russia is acting like we're not in this war. Yeah, that's where we are. The expansion of South Africa. This one's going to be particular. I'm, I'm sorry, of BRICS with the announcement coming out of South Africa is going to be particularly interesting. As more and more countries join up, we are going to see two principal factions gearing up for war. NATO and BRICS. Already, NATO and BRICS are at war. It's just not expanded beyond the borders of Ukraine. There's economic conflict. There's a whole bunch going on. And I fear it'll only get worse. Stocks sink after historic U.S. credit rating downgrade. That's right. Big news, huh? Maybe you're a bit distracted from what's going on. Fitch ratings downgraded the U.S. debt from AAA to AA+. AA+, still sounds pretty good, huh? But it's not AAA. And then we have this. Unusual Wales tweets. 340 U.S. firms filed for bankruptcy in the first half of 2023, setting a new 13-year high per CNBC. If you're sitting back thinking that we are not in a very serious crisis, well, I guess I'm jealous. Ignorance is bliss. But I've often thought about this. People say ignorance is bliss. If that's the case, why not just live in blissful ignorance? Because when you live in ignorance, you may go out to your backyard with a smile on your face and look up at the sun and say, all is well. And you're smiling as the tsunami is only a few miles away. And then before you realize it, your home is destroyed, your family is dead, and you're standing in a pile of rubble screaming, how could this have happened? It happened because you chose blissful ignorance over reality. There's many sayings. I'd rather dangerous freedom than peaceful slavery. I'd rather painful truths than blissful ignorance. So I hope you all are paying attention. There could be nothing around the corner. There could be everything around the corner. It certainly seems like these crises are happening. And so many people tell me, you know, I used to watch your show, but I just can't handle politics. And I say, OK, do you? That's fine. Many of these people will come back when the election cycle happens, because that's the reality of things. When the election cycle's in full swing, viewership's through the roof. And then in off season, you know, politics, nobody wants to be involved. But don't be surprised when your pension disappears. Don't be surprised when you can't buy milk, bread or eggs. Because you chose not to pay attention. And then when you go knocking on the ant's door as the humble grasshopper saying, please, it's winter and I need food. And they say, buzz off. What can you do? I love that story, by the way. In the remade children's version, the ants are preparing all summer for the winter and the grasshopper frolics about. And then uh, at the end of the story, the grasshopper is freezing and starving and goes to the ants and says, please, please help. I have no food. And the ants say, you should have learned your lesson. But being the good people we are, we will share with you our bounty. I love that story because the real story, the original story, was that the grasshopper begged and pleaded for food. The ants locked their door. The grasshopper froze to death. And then the ants eat the grasshopper. 
Welcome to reality. So when all is said and done, if the U.S. does collapse, it'll be the BRICS nations eating this grasshopper. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 6 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out, and I will see you all then. The big cultural news sending shockwaves to the left is that 12th grade boys are skewing heavily conservative. And uh, this news came out a few days ago, but it's only now that with the dating scene being questioned, many leftists are saying, what is going on? What's happening to 12th grade boys? Oh, boy, what I love to tell you. We have a great thread from Shuanhad, which I'll bring up as well, and she talks quite a bit about this. But let's start with the news from the Post Millennial. 12th grade American boys trend conservative report. Take a look at this. General knowledge may say that the more and more young people are identifying as liberal, according to new data, 12th grade high school boys are twice as likely to identify as conservative as compared to liberal. In annual surveys of the past few years, data pulled from the Monitoring the Future, from Monitoring the Future, an organization, has shown that about a quarter of high school seniors identify as conservative or very conservative. Only 13% of the 12th grade boys, 12th grade boys, identify as liberal. That's interesting. An image from a graph from the book Generations, The Real Differences Between Gen Z, Millennial, Gen X, Boomers, and Silence, and what they mean for America's future by Jean, by Jean Twenge, went somewhat viral online. The graph excludes moderate students, but of those high school seniors that do identify politically, around 65% of boys were conservative, while only around 31% of girls identified that way. Let me tell you what this means. I'm going to say it and just be as shockingly offensive as I can. This means that girls will start to skew conservative. Why? Young boys are object oriented. Or I should say males are object oriented and females are subject oriented. It's really that simple. Guys, when they talk to each other, talk about granular facts, goals and accomplishments, and females talk about feelings. It's not absolute. It's just generally speaking, meaning generally speaking, if females want to get boyfriends, they will have to socialize with conservative young men. Of course, it's entirely possible that there are liberal young men who will be Simpson white knights and many women will date them as well. It's true. But I also believe that there is going to be. Look, let's just be real. Do the do the girls really want to date the loser guys who are weird? No, they're going to want to date the edgy, strong, popular, charismatic guys. And those are guys who are sure of themselves, I believe, will likely lead to a tendency not an absolute. It could be 51 to 49. But let's read more. As one political analyst put it, Democrats have a masculinity problem, citing trends among black and Latino voters. They go to mention Jordan Peterson and Dennis Prager, etc. And I'll just mention Andrew Tate. Why is Andrew Tate so popular? Why is Jordan Peterson so popular? Dude, they are two different kinds of people to look up to if you're a young man. Jordan Peterson, the suit wearing intelligent academic who says, clean your room, be responsible like a father figure. So many didn't have. And Andrew Tate is a guy who is a, a world champion kickboxer who is physically fit, silly, funny, a bit irreverent. The left doesn't get that. And he tells you to be strong, be strong, fight for yourself. Don't let them r- run you over. Be who you are. Now, they'll accuse Andrew Tate of all sorts of awful things or whatever. It's funny because if you look at a lot of what Andrew, Andrew Tate has this video where he's like, I went out and bought some Bugattis. I got 10 Bugattis. And then the camera pans and he has little scooters and he jumps on one and rides away. The dude is fun. He's funny. He's inspiring. People like that. He's also tough. 
He's sure of himself. He has this video where he's like, who would you rather do? <laughs> I'm not going to get into it. Like Hulk Hogan or Megan Fox. And the left makes fun of him for it. And they don't get it. The, t- the strong guy, the tough guy, the world champion fighter who's a billionaire or whatever his net worth is, hundreds of millions of dollars, who is having a good time and laughing. That's something people want to look up to. The freedom. So here we are. Shoe on head. Shout out. She has a great thread. She has these two tweets. One from Dreamleaf says, what WTF is wrong with 12th grade boys? Because you can see the girls are liberal and the boys are conservative. Then you have this one. Pogfish says we need smart, entertaining and semi edgy male role models on the left to show that the left isn't just a bunch of soy moralizing cringe lords. Unironically, Destiny is the only person I can think of that fits this description. Yo, Destiny's fantastic. But he ain't far leftist like y'all want, okay? Destiny is a pragmatic, reasonable guy who reads things and then believes things and then explains what he believes. Tremendous respect for the dude. We agree on so much. We disagree on a lot. He doesn't like Trump. I don't think Trump is nearly as bad, but I'm not like, you know, MAGA hat wearing diehard Trump or anything like that. Who else do they have? Jimmy Dore, I think, actually is like, here's the issue. Jimmy Dore is going to attract young men, talk about his policies, and ultimately it's going to result in young people not being far left. Despite the fact that Jimmy is rather socialist, but Jimmy is tough. He will yell. He will speak with passion. The left doesn't have anything but these like weak soy boys. But here's the most important element. Shu nails it. She says, every other month, people see something like this in panic. Where are the leftist Andrew Tate's? But if your goal isn't to help men and it's just to stop them from moving right, it's transparent. It won't work. I'll break it down for you. There's no leftist Andrew Tate's because a function of the left is to demonize men. End of story. She says, be young man, told you're everything wrong with society. Gravitate towards people who don't do that. OMG, what's wrong with boys? Let's find the problem. And there is the big Chad man holding a mirror up to you. Even though Republicans won't do ish, at least the right rhetorically offers something to young men other than the eternal HR department. They win over young men because the left micromanages every aspect of their lives from media. They consume to the jokes they make. And the right is just like, here's a picture of Alex Jones. And it says, you will own a large piece of land. You will own a spacious ranch style home in a homogenous high trust community. You will have fires every night in the backyard. You will have bountiful children with your loving wife. You will get dinner cooked for you every night. Now, hold on there a minute. What do men want? Hmm. Men are simple beings. They want full bellies and they want a family. Not every guy, not every single one, but it really is that simple. Men want security. Women want security too. Men are, are more willing to take risks, the data shows, but it, it's, it's just so simple. Women are a bit more complicated. Complex social elements play a role in what women say they want. So you end up with these weird scenarios where there's like women on, on uh, Tinder saying they just wish they could be moms, but they can't. They're forced to work with guys. You have some of that for sure, because humans are mostly the same. But there is a difference between men and women. But a lot of guys will just be like, you know what? MGTOW. MGTOW. Men going their own way. How does something like that happen? I think MGTOW emerges because of no fault divorce because divorce, divorce courts favor women, and because the socialization uh, of social, modern social customs is that women don't be what men want them to be. 
They tell women to be CEOs, to be fighter pilots. Why would a guy want to marry a guy? No, look, some guys want to marry guys for sure. But if you're a guy, and I love how feminists just will reject this outright and refuse to hear it. Here's a guy who wants to go work really hard. He wants to work his hands to the bone, make some money, come home to a partner, an ally who is taking care of the rest of their lives. The man can go out and hunt that deer and bring back the food for the family, but he needs someone there to make sure the family is safe, secure, and well taken care of while he is out risking his life. We can wind all that down to a modern context and say that a guy wants to go work on his projects, conquer the world figuratively, and then bring back the bounties to a home where his children smile and there is someone there waiting for him who says, I've taken care of the rest. What happens in the home is some of the most important things imaginable. But it's simple. They say women hold up half the sky. Yeah. Men hold up one half, women hold up the other half. But if women want to be CEOs, a guy's going to be like, listen, I already do this job. I need someone who can handle the parts of my life that I can't. You're not prepared to do that. Thank you and have a nice day. Oh, and boy, do they lose their minds. Shu says leftism on paper offers a lot to help men's material conditions, but completely drops the ball when it comes to anything and everything social and cultural. They don't want to hear about the effing patriarchy, bro. Give it a rest. They don't want that it's okay to cry corny a-ish. They're lonely and depressed and poor and they feel like they have no purpose. She gets it, man. She totally gets it. It's hard for progressives to organically appeal to young men because a large part of progressivism is about oppressive hierarchies and is hostile to them and masculinity at the core. It's an uphill battle from the start and I commend anyone trying. I've seen a lot of good pro-men lefty content, but it's always in response to data showing men moving right. Listen. Guys want to take over the world. They want to fight for what they love and believe in. They want to hunt a deer. They want to fight a grizzly bear with their bare hands. Men polled seem to think that they can fight a bear and win. Because this is what guys do. They don't want to be told they're evil, they're wrong. They don't want to be told that the way they feel and what they desire is wrong. You simultaneously have women being told to conquer and to be leaders, and men are being told to sit down and shut up. Then what happens? Jordan Peterson steps up in his tweed jacket and he says, clean your room, bucko, pick up that rock. And they're like, yes, sir. Andrew Tate comes out and does very similarly. Yes, sir. Man, to me, it's all fairly obvious. It's all fairly obvious. Young guys are being told to feel better for who and what they are. So you know what's going to happen? So long as conservatives say you can be you, man. The world is your oyster. And liberals say, sit down and shut up. Nothing else matters. That's where we're headed. Well, we'll see how that plays out in the next 20 years. Next segment's coming up at 8 p.m. over at youtube.com slash timcastirl. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then. Many of you may remember the story of the based stick man. As the story goes, the battle for Berkeley. A man showed up, and it was the first time anyone actually fought back against far-left extremists. He had a shield, a helmet, and a stick. He cracked that stick over an Antifa member's head when that Antifa member was violently assaulting and beating people. They called him the based stick man because he had a stick. There is a new stick man in town. You know, and I want to say this. Uh, I'm not a fan of violence. I think it should only be applied when absolutely necessary. 
and uh, people have a right to defend themselves. We got this viral video that I want to talk about. Joel Fisher tweets, since New York City doesn't do much, the hardworking people have no choice but to take matters into their own hands. Great job, guys. Here's the video. Let me play some of this video for you. There's nothing you can do, though. There's nothing you can do, man, until you call police. Ain't nothing you can do, man, until police come in. Hey, hey, no, hey, don't, hey. Ain't nothing you can do, man. Don't. All right, I'm going to stop it there. You can watch the video on Twitter. Cassandra Fairbanks has a, has a tweet of it up, at Cassandra Rules. But I want to address what's going on with crime. In this video, a guy is saying, ain't nothing you can do. Nothing you can do. As a man is stealing from behind the counter at a convenience store. What happens? This guy's got a weapon of some sort, and he threatens to pull it out. He does pull it out, then puts it back. They grab him, and then the store owner begins to beat him with a stick. Man, I, I, I don't like the violence. I got to be completely honest. I, I, I don't, you know, I'm not going to. I wish it didn't come to this. But this guy brandished a weapon and threatened their lives. Like, what's, what, what are you supposed to do? Now, they end up hitting this guy. And the memes, they are emerging. But I saw this and I started to think about something. Was the mafia really that, really that bad? Honestly, I don't know. It's a serious question. It's not rhetorical. I was watching um, a, a clip from a Bronx tale that people had posted. You may have seen the movie. I have not seen the movie, but it's an excellent scene. Here's what happens. And I, I, I tremendous respect. I mean, let's, let's talk about this. Let's talk about masculinity. Some bikers ride their bikes out. You got the mob boss. He's talking to some guys when all of a sudden they hear, right? People are yelling and they're like, what's going on? So the mob boss walks into this bar and here he sees a bunch of dudes wearing biker gear. And he says, what's the problem? And they say something like they're not dressed properly to be in here. And the lead biker guy says, look, man, we just want to have a drink. We just want to have a beer. We're being polite. We're being nice. Just let us have a beer and we'll go. And the mob boss says, spoken like a gentleman, serve them their beer. And I love that. An honorable man. You know, you're supposed to dress nice to come in here, but you were polite, and respectful to me. I will be respectful to you. The way men should be. Now what happens? When the bartender hands the beers to these guys, they shake them up and spraying the bartender with it laughing. And the mob boss says, OK, now you've crossed the line. You need to leave. Now the biker guy says, screw off, F you, blah, blah, blah. And so what does a mob boss do? He calmly straightens his tie, walks to the door, closes it, locks it, walks back up to the guys and says, now's you can't leave. And then they all have this look like, uh-oh. Now look, after this, a group of good old boys come in and begin to mercilessly beat <laughs> these bikers. I, I'm not saying I'm a fan of the mercilessly beat the guys. I do have a certain degree of letting police take care of this because we want we want honest justice. We want people to know when a crime is committed, our system handles it properly. But the point I'm trying to make is when you have a story like that and the assumption is if you're an honorable person of good standing and you're polite, we treat you with respect. But if you cross the line, then you pay the consequences. A society like that does not have this rampant crime. Here's what happens. These guys are being robbed in this in this convenience store. And the dude at the counter is saying, ain't nothing you can do about it. Well, 
This guy pulls out some kind of weapon. I think it was a knife. And then all of a sudden, game's on. But I was thinking about that, and I'm like, what if there was a mafia, an organized crime unit? Like, uh, uh, not unit, like, uh, uh, what if there was actual organized crime? I'm not talking about gangs. I'm talking about suit-wearing good old boys. You'd never see anything like that. Now, I'm not saying the mafia was good or anything. I mean, there's like shootouts and, you know, just bad stuff for sure. But I wonder if the real issue is just a culture of honor. You know, coming from Chicago, we knew about uh, a, a bunch of different gangs. Some of these gangs had no honor. They didn't care. They'd lie, cheat, or steal. Some of these gangs were deeply, deeply respected. I'm not going to say which ones because, you know, I'm not here to start bickering about gangs in Chicago. But there were, and then there were like different branches of the gangs. But there was like one gang, they would just do drugs and like mind their own business. And everyone thought it was funny. That you're like, you'd see them hanging out, smoking weed. And they'd smile and be like, what up? And you're like, these guys are cool. Like they don't do anything, you know? Like they weren't bothering anybody. They didn't have guns. They weren't shooting anybody. But they were a well-known gang. And so sometimes they'd get into fights because they defend each other. But for the most part, they were chill, never bothered anybody. And I think they mostly just sold pot or something. Then there was another group that would steal from everybody. Then claim if you defended yourself, you were sliding the gang and they'd come after you. Really, really bad stuff. One of the biggest gangs, which extends well outside of Chicago, had, it was massive, massive, massive gang. They had young guys who were reckless and older guys who were kind of like that mob boss I described. And for this reason, people respected them. I remember, uh, you know, encountering, you know, some guys in these gangs. These younger guys were hot-headed and would push people around and be like, I'm in a gang, blah, blah, blah. And you'd be like, don't get into it with those guys because they just cause problems. However, if these young guys acted a fool, the 30, 40-year-old gang members who were higher ranking in the gang would come and apologize to you grab the dude and say, you don't do this in our community because they had a way of going about things. And it really does come down to this. You can argue that some of these gang leaders were, you know, uh, good guys, good guys that just wanted to respect the community. I think it's simpler than that. They don't want people to shut them down. And if these young guys act a fool, then what happens is the people who live there go to the police and say, we demand a crackdown. All of a sudden, business is done. So these gangs knew that they could get away with committing crimes, mostly selling drugs. But I'm not talking hard stuff. It was a lot of it was a lot of marijuana, like it's on a lot of pot. Business was good. They sold pot. They had territory. They protected their own. And as long as nobody got out of the line, business was a booming. So when these young guys would act a fool, they would say, we don't do this in our town. But rest assured, if you came into their neighborhood and tried looting his Gucci store, like we see in this video, or robbing a convenience store, these guys would show up and say, nah, these are our businesses. It's kind of like the protection money racket thing, right? You have the story where the mob guys go into the convenience store and say, you got to pay us to keep you safe. It's funny because, honest question, with this video of this guy robbing this convenience store, if a local group of good old boys wearing suits walked in and said, you're going to pay us $100 a month. And they say, never going to happen to you again. You think they'd pay it? I think they would. I think they would. And I think they'd do it with a smile on their face. They'd say, thank you, man. Thank you. Now, I don't know if it's typically $100. Typically, the shakedowns were for more than that. But my point is simply this. A group of people come in and they tell you it'll never happen again. And you know it won't because these guys are going around keeping everybody in line. And even the police 
who don't want to enforce these laws know what's up. Crime stops. This kind of crime. Someone coming in and ransacking your business. Because here's how the mob would see it. The gangs would see it. So long as you're selling those cigarettes and you're selling those goods, we come in, you pay us for security, we're happy. But if someone comes in and trashes your business and shuts it down, we lose money. So it's, 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 it's a question of to what degree do people tolerate the shakedown, right? I guess I can put it this way. We'd be better off completely with the right to defend ourselves. And if we knew, if everyone knew that if you tried to steal or ransack a business, you were putting your life on the line, they'd be less inclined to do it. But in New York, there's no good old boys. There's no gangs to protect these businesses or to, to have an interest in extracting from them in a more organized way. All there is, is if you dare defend yourself, you go to jail. Well, sooner or later, my friends, that system will break. And I think we're seeing it now with these dudes beating this guy with a stick. The base, the, 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 the stick man, the stick guy, whatever they want to call him. Because sooner or later, people are going to say enough. The crime's out of control. San Francisco is in the gutter. Stores are being looted like crazy. What is this? Beverly Hills once again. And you know what people say? Nothing you can do about it. So what happens? The businesses start collapsing. San Francisco is in collapse. So I ask you this, and I'm not asserting my opinion on this one. Genuine question. What would we would what would be better? If there was a mafia operating in San Francisco, organized crime, or what it is now. You can argue there's going to be people being whacked. There's going to be shootouts. It's going to be horrible. And I'm like, there already are. There's human waste in the streets. I guess with the mafia, you get clean. You get businesses that can operate even if they're getting shake, you know, shaken down. I am not saying one is better than the other. Perhaps, as I mentioned, the real solution is people have the right to defend themselves and their property, like in Texas. But whether or not that changes... It's going to require a cultural shift where we all agree on it. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up later today on this channel. I think maybe at the, what, 4 p.m. perhaps. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then.